This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Was it an historic moment that will lead to denuclearization or a choreographed ceremony with little substance behind it? Did Donald Trump score a huge victory with his summit with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, or did he get too little and give away too much, including an agreement to halt U.S. military exercises with treaty ally South Korea? Maybe it was a little bit of both. And while he was embracing the murderous dictator, he was escalating his war of words and threats with us, with Canada And Justin Trudeau, warning that our prime minister's pushback will, and I quote, cost Canadians a lot of money. Want to hear from you. What do you make of it? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We have a number of expert guests, starting with Michael Tobe, public affairs analyst and political commentator. Hi, Michael. Hey, Libby, how are you? Fine. Well, Michael, we talked to you last week, and and I think you kind of predicted this, that uh, retaliation would poke the bear. (laughs) It definitely would. Yes, no, I agree. And unfortunately, you know, when it comes to, if we're just looking at Canada and the U.S., which was your latter part, there's always a bit of a risk when you play with Donald Trump, the U.S. president, because of certain things or certain components of his leadership style and his character. Justin Trudeau's statement about the current trade war that we have with the U.S. over tariffs wasn't anything, shall we say, terribly controversial. It wasn't anything that would necessarily harangue most people, most political parties, most leaders. But when you take into account that as Donald Trump left the G7 conference in Quebec and was in the air heading to Singapore for this important meeting with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, which could obviously have, at least at the time when he was in air, some sort of impact with international diplomacy and security, all the Canadian Prime Minister had to do was wait a couple of days, just a couple of days, to let the summit go through. We'll, we, we could then see if it was a success or a failure, and we could have moved on to the next discussion. It would have had less impact, and I think it would have, at least if nothing else, Bill's words raise the ire of this U.S. president, who can be very volatile at times, as we all know, and it probably made him furious that Justin Trudeau would actually make these comments, or that Canada, a middle power in the world, would make these comments as he was heading to an important world event. Okay, and that's yeah. why poking the bear was a mistake. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I, I don't even think that Trudeau thought he was poking the bear. I mean, one of the comments from Trump that I found quite astonishing, astonishing is that he's going on, he said, what does, does Trudeau think I don't have television on board mm-hmm. Air Force One? Well, Trudeau said all these things days before. I mean, we talked about them 
last week? Did did Donald Trump was he not paying attention that that this was kind of old news? The things that Trudeau was saying. Well, there's two things to that. Number one, I think Donald Trump was paying attention, but he probably sees a certain gamesmanship in politics that exists. I think he's now been around for at least, you know, he's heading towards two years in the, in the, in the presidency, in the White House. I think he now at least understands the sort of give and take between world leaders when there are moments of, well, good moments and bad moments, such as the ones we're experiencing with Canada. The other thing, unfortunately, is I just don't think, whether you like it or not, Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, really thinks all that much. He's known Donald Trump long enough now and dealt with him long enough now to know the sorts of things that would pique Mr. Trump's interests or would put him in a very foul mood. And especially when you're sort of climbing in and trying to sort of push along your issue when something very big and something very important potentially for the world was going on, as I said before, not to be a broken record, but Justin Trudeau could have made all of the same points. He would have had the support of most of the country, but all he had to do was wait a couple of days to just let yeah, this but... important summit go through. It's not hard to understand that if you understand Donald Trump's character, which we can't be oblivious to. I'm, I'm certain sure things just... matter more to him than others. That summit meant a lot, and it meant a lot to the world, too. Uh, yeah, but uh, first of all, they were... Coming to the end of a meeting, I mean, they have to say something at the end of it, and mm-hmm. and I can't imagine that that this strategy is is something Trudeau cooked up by himself. I'm sure the whole brain trust was in on it. Well, that that's another issue. So the brain trust should really have reevaluated this to some extent. Look, they could have obviously had to respond to it. I agree with you there, but they could have sort of couched it with more general language instead of sort of saying that can is not going to be pushed around. You know, we're you know, we're nice people, but he could have actually sort of spoken more about, say, the communique that was signed by all the leaders and talked about that a bit more. He could have said something to the effect of, well, look, obviously we still do not see eye to eye with the United States when it comes to this trade war and how tariffs are going to be handled. But, you know, based on my discussions, say, with the U.S. president in Quebec in the past couple of days, I believe now that at least there's a bit of an inroad and we can move more in this direction. And then, as I said, you could have used some of that language that he used a couple of days ago as Donald Trump was in the air heading to Singapore and sort of pushed it along with everything else. You could have just easily couched the language for a couple of days because really we don't all need the limelight that much, Libby, in the grand scheme of things. And it just would have been probably a little bit wiser, I think, to have just held back a touch and maybe uh, U.S. President Donald Trump wouldn't have erupted the way he did, saying that it's going to cost Canada a lot of money, now throwing the auto industry possibly as another area where terrorists may occur, irrespective of the auto pact that's existed between our two countries for a while. I just think that, unfortunately, you're looking at Donald Trump as a very typical U.S. president when he is about as atypical as anyone who has ever held the office, if not all of them combined. For that reason, you have to treat him a little bit differently and sort of try to look at what could potentially make him angry or frustrated. And this is a moment where I think after having watched him for a couple of years, a lot of observers, especially in the U.S., realize that Donald Trump wants to make things about him. Well, guess what? That summit with North Korea was really about him and obviously Kim Jong-un 
and every and everybody else should have just let it go for a couple days and then moved on with their agendas. Okay, well, uh, speaking of the auto industry, let's bring in Jerry Dias, who is the president of Unifor. He's currently in Detroit. Hi, Jerry. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? I'm doing okay, thank you. Okay, well, that's that's good to hear. I mean, uh, uh, what do you make of this latest threat to uh, the auto industry, and, and what do you want to see from our government and how they're dealing with Donald Trump? Well, first of all, you know, we can blame Donald Trump, but I'm actually blaming the NBC, because if they would have extended The Apprentice for one more year, we wouldn't have any of these problems. <laughs> okay. The, Look, I think our government has to retaliate. We don't have any choice. Um, you saw what happened when we didn't retaliate. We had the softwood lumber dispute. We didn't do anything. Then he came forward with tariffs on paper. Then he attacked our aerospace industry. Then steel. Then aluminum. And now, obviously, talking about auto and auto parts. So, expecting this administration is going to, you know, somehow develop an element of common sense isn't happening. Therefore, you have to fight fire with fire. So I'm, I'm pleased that the prime minister is standing up, pushing back, and frankly not taking any of Donald Trump's nonsense. Okay, well, you know what? Uh, according to a recent poll, 70% of Canadians uh, are also happy he's standing up. But, but you know, sadly, the fact of the matter is uh, they are much bigger than we are, and, and we have a, a lot to lose, um, Jerry. I mean, do you see a way out of this? Well, there is a way out of it, but the only way to deal with it is head on. The United States stands a lot to lose as well. We are the U.S.'s largest trading partner. 30 U.S. states, uh, we're their number one trading partner. On auto, the United States sells more cars in Canada than they do anywhere else around the world. So it's not as if we're a bit player here. Uh, we're a nation that's rich in natural resources and raw materials. So we are a nation that the United States depends on as well. But I think the more frustrating part of all of this is this has nothing to do with economics to Trump. It has all to do with politics. He actually believes by picking a fight with the world on trade that he will be better positioned for re-elections in November, the midterms. So when you're dealing with a, uh, an administration that's preoccupied about politics and really doesn't care about the economic carnage that they're call- causing abroad and at home, it's pretty difficult to find solutions. Okay, uh, let's have a call from Sharon in Hamilton. Hi, Sharon. Sharon. How are you? Fine. You're on the air. Go ahead. Um, I think President Trump was giving too much instead of too little. To the Koreans, South, to the North Koreans. Yes, to the North Koreans, yes. And why do you think that? Because, why do I think that? Because yep. he should he should have gave more to Canada and less to them. Okay. Sharon, thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, we're bringing in Stephen Nelson from the Washington Examiner. Hi, Stephen. Yes, thank you for having me. Okay. So uh, I'm not sure if you heard the beginning of the conversation. Uh, Uh, How is this playing out in the United States, and are they even aware of this growing trade war with Canada? Well, you know, it's unclear how exactly this is going to play out. I I know that a lot of jaws were dropping around Washington when we saw President Trump's recent tweet about Justin Trudeau. Of course, he mentioned him again uh, during a press conference in Singapore a couple hours ago. 
uh, standing by what he said and saying that uh, Trudeau was going to cost Canada a lot of money. Uh, right now, it's it's unclear President Trump is uh, saying this because he's angry at uh, the alleged duplicity of uh, Trudeau, or he is uh, using this as some sort of a, a, a bargaining uh, strategy. Um, Trudeau, of course, said that he wasn't going to be pushed around, but um, he said it in a tone that a person like Donald Trump might see uh, and say, well, this is exactly the kind of person I could push around. Uh, so we, it remains to be seen what Trump is really thinking here, but I, I imagine that he, he feels that he could throw Trudeau off his game and get a better result for the United States. Um, Jerry, uh, I know you don't have too much uh, time with us here. Uh, do you agree that this is just some kind of uh, bargaining chip? Uh, and uh, again, you know, if if you were advising Justin Trudeau, so far he hasn't really said very much about the personal insults. What, what would you tell him to do? I think that Trump's comments have frankly made him look like an international laughingstock. I don't think he's scoring any political points at home by picking a fight with Canada. I think, by and large, Americans view us as a respectful trading partner. Uh, we've had a long-term relationship based on, based on equality of trade. So, ultimately, my advice to the Prime Minister of Canada is stay strong. Don't, don't play the, he doesn't have to play the low-ball game uh, with Donald Trump. He's looking rather foolish uh, with, with the type of comments he's making. And ultimately, there's no need for anybody to stoop to his level. So we just have to maintain our position. I think we need to fight fire with fire. I think we need to let Trump know that, listen, you can, you can say anything you want. You can spew all the rhetoric you want, but it's not going to knock us off our game. And, and I'm convinced that it won't throw oh. our government off the game. And, uh, Michael, just before we yeah. take a break, uh, what do you think about what Jerry's saying? Well, I mean, look, obviously there are Americans who value the relationship that we have with Canada, both on a political and economic level. But I can tell you in my experience, based on a huge amount of writing that I've done in the U.S. over 20-plus years, I can tell you that most American editors, writers, reporters, columnists, etc., sure, they know a little bit about the, the economic relationship that Canada and the U.S. has, but they don't know the particulars all that well. I can tell you, especially with the auto pact, for example, while certainly there are many states like Michigan and others where the newspapers write regularly on it, and they understand that issue inside and out, there are also a lot of other states that don't have the slightest clue what it exactly entails and probably couldn't even name how much trade each country has with one another or what we specifically do in that pact. This is not to say that Jerry is wrong, and I believe it or not, I don't disagree with him, that Canada should obviously push back and obviously stand firm. I certainly agree with that. For me, the whole issue is about timing, and I just felt that the timing in this case was wrong because the same impact would have been held in a couple of days, and I don't mean to keep repeating this, but I really truly believe it did. It would have, rather than speaking out in Quebec where it was unnecessary to do this, and knowing full well that U.S. President Donald Trump, whether you love him or hate him, was going to react in a certain fashion. It, everything could have been done, this whole scenario could have been played out, and we would have seen what would have happened, but I think it could have been done just a little bit better and a bit more strategically. Okay. Uh, we have to take a quick break. Uh, we are saying goodbye to Jerry Dias. Jerry, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure is always mine. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking to Peter McKay, who is the former Foreign Affairs Minister and former Minister of Defense. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about last night's historic summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Was it, in fact, a great moment that will lead to denuclearization? Or uh, was it a stage ceremony with little substance? And, and did Donald Trump give away too much for too little? And what is the connection between it and the growing trade war, war of words between Trump and Canada? We now bring in Peter McKay, former defense minister, former minister of foreign affairs, and currently a partner with Baker and McKenzie. Hi, Peter. Hello. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. First of all, what's your take on the summit? Well, I think uh, in your introduction, it's a little from column A and a little from column B. There was certainly a a lot of staged photos and a great deal of hype leading up to this meeting. It was on again. It was off again. But I I want to look at this uh, both objectively with a a little bit of optimism. Uh, This type of meeting has never occurred before, a president and a North Korean uh, president. And I would like to hope for the sake, firstly, of the people of South and North Korea, that they will be able to make progress and and further de-escalate the tensions that have been there since the end of the Korean War. And and to put it in some some factual context, we did see Kim Jong-un walk across that very real border in the demilitarized zone and embrace his counterpart in South Korea. So there, there is some evidence, growing evidence, of goodwill now, the devil is always in the details to come back to the, the main issue here. Will we see a willingness on the part of Kim Jong-un to give up these nuclear weapons and, and his menacing uh, activities directed towards the, the Western world, but throughout the Asia-Pacific? Uh, I do have some concerns about how Russia and China will play out in all of this. But certainly this is a, a good first step. I suspect it will happen incrementally uh, as opposed to any major uh, moves that either side will make. Now, commentator uh, Michael Tobe, who is on the other line, sees a connection, as do a lot of people, between this event and uh, the war of words, the growing trade war, the Twitter storms against Canada. Uh, Do you think that will perhaps blow over? Because he seems to be doubling down on the threats. Yeah, it's very strange, to say the least, that the president has chosen to focus some of his harshest criticisms and, and personal invective against our Prime Minister, at a time when, yes, we are engaged in protracted negotiations around NAFTA, uh, sanctions or trade tariffs, I should say, with regard to aluminum and steel, and now threats about the auto sector and perhaps others. Uh, It's hard to contemplate why, uh, at this moment in time, uh, the President has chosen to do this against a country that is his closest ally, his biggest trading partner, his most historic friend. And, you know, to add to this conundrum, when you see the leaders of Russia and Iran uh, weighing in and, and uh, you know, taking almost glee in the divisions that have developed at the G7 uh, on this, uh, this ongoing war of words via Twitter, um, th- this is not a, f- a fine moment in world history. So perhaps the president on his trip back from Singapore on reflection 
will uh, will revisit this and we can get back to normalized relations de-escalate the tension and uh, you know get on with the business of of nation building that's really what's important here it's sometimes easy to lose sight of uh, with all the white noise and and the carnival like atmosphere that seems to follow the president and and quite frankly these um, in, you know eruptions that come via twitter that that seem to be um, so personal in nature. Well, they they are. So, first of all, do you agree with Michael Tobe that that it was the timing that set him off? And the last thing he said is that he's taught Justin Trudeau a lesson. I, I mean, it just seems like a just just a pretty outburst. Yeah, it's it's petulant, and and it seems that the president, and this is no new revelation, is very thin-skinned. I, I do agree that it was the timing and perhaps the tone. The president got on the plane. It was a, a you know a contentious meeting to say the least. Uh, he was probably feeling not attacked, but he was you know he was being opposed by all of the other leaders at the the meeting in Quebec. He seemingly had a, a decent bilateral meeting with, with Prime Minister Trudeau, got on the plane, and I'm not sure he would have even heard the words that were spoken at that closing uh, press conference from the Prime Minister, but maybe the way it was characterized set him off. Characterized because, what, by Fox News? But, well, I don't know <laughs> how it was translated to him, but he seemed to just erupt in, in almost volcanic fury, and it was nothing that... That, 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 you know, to be objective about it, there was nothing that, that Prime Minister Trudeau said in that press conference that he hadn't said before, except maybe the words, we won't be pushed around. But regardless of that fact, uh, he also was offended that he wasn't wished well by our Prime Minister, that he wasn't somehow given um, credit for what he was undertaking as he headed off to meet with Kim Jong-un at this historic S- S- Singapore dialogue. And he he as we know, uh, has an ego that sometimes requires stroking. <laughs> to say so the least. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to explain it away or characterize it any other way than as I see it, and I think that that may be what set him off. And what is the way out then, Peter? Well, the way out, I, I think, is to stay at the table, uh, first and foremost, when it comes to NAFTA, to persist in making as many points of contact in the United States as we can, that is, reaching out to other leading representatives on both sides of the aisle, um, ministerial to ministerial. We're, we're seeing uh, opportunities that will arise this week. I think the Agriculture Secretary is going to be here in Ottawa. Christy Freeland will continue to work with Robert Lighthizer on the, on the trade files. Uh, I think we need industry leaders in both countries to come together, chambers of commerce to continue to discuss the importance of NAFTA and free trade. Newly elected premiers in Ontario, for example, to uh, engage uh, with counterparts in the states. Uh, this has to be a full court press because, frankly, there's too much at stake. Uh, both countries lose. This is mutually assured destruction, um, not to use the, the nuclear example, but no. we will all pay a price. Consumers will pay a huge price if we get into a, a trade war. Uh, and Michael, do you agree that that will be enough? Uh, some people think that basically there's not a lot of wiggle room mm-hmm. for Justin Trudeau. And um, do you think that that Donald Trump will listen to any of all these other people and and interests coming into play here? 
Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I agree with Peter's analysis overall, overall, and I think he spoke eloquently on the issue that there are obviously goals that Canada and the United States have to keep moving forward on, and irrespective of the current trade war that we're in right now, we have to find a way out of it. We have to find a way to move forward. We have to protect NAFTA as best we can, or if nothing else, ensure that some sort of a bilateral trade agreement is in place, sort of similar to CAFTA, the existing free trade agreement before NAFTA was signed in 1990, or something else that is unforeseen as of right now. But in terms of whether Donald Trump will actually listen to other people and his advisors, Again, it depends who you believe. I mean, based on the sources that I'm sure Peter has heard, your reporter from Washington has heard, I have heard, etc., there's a bit of give and take in that way. Sometimes he certainly will listen when he's in a room, and other times he just won't pay attention and will just sort of move forward using his gut or his quote-unquote instinct as his direction or his, his compass. I hope that he does listen, and I hope that there are some rational people in the room, and we know that they certainly exist, even if publicly, say, someone like a a Larry Kudlow, who just recently suffered a heart attack, but is a prominent person in the Trump White House and has been a free marketer for many years, you would hope that he would be able to guide uh, Mr. Trump, at least in the right direction, that, yes, we're frustrated with the way Canada's been handling things, yes, we're displeased with the way they are handling tariffs with us, yes, we're displeased with the way that NAFTA renegotiations have been going, but at the same time that we have to see the end goal as maintaining a strong trade relationship in some way, shape, or form with our Canadian neighbors, as long as that is accomplished. So will he listen? We have to be hopeful, and we have to be somewhat optimistic, and say that it is certainly possible. But we also have to be realistic and know that no matter what ultimately heads out in the end, and no matter how things turn out, the NAFTA will not be the same, our trade relationship may not be the same, but hopefully there will be something good, something tangible, and something productive that ensures that both our economies continue to survive well through the 21st century. And uh, Peter, my thinking is that there has to be some way to make this look like a, quote, win for Donald Trump. So is Trudeau going to have to eat crow? Will he have to overlook, you know, the special place in hell? And those comments of how how does that get accomplished? Yeah, I I think he does have to move well past that. and, And that takes some hubris. But let's not forget, we've had breakdowns in the president prime minister relationship in the past. Uh, famously, Nixon and Trudeau's father did not get along. Kennedy, Diefenbaker, right? Um, President Johnson grabbed uh, Prime Minister Pearson by the lapels in the Oval Office over <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know so that. Yes, did. We That's need right. to we need to come back to the fundamentals of what Michael was talking about in terms of the economy. And you know, one other thing I, I would add, and this will never ever begin to supplant the importance of the Canada-U.S. relationship. And if it has to come back to Canada-U.S. only, that's that's another question. But we shouldn't be prepared. Uh, to walk away from the table on that issue alone. But we should be capitalizing on things like the comprehensive economic trade agreement with the European Union and diversifying trade, pursuing the Trans-Pacific Partnership. There are millions of other hungry consumers out there for Canadian product. I, for one, believe we should be pursuing an Energy East pipeline and trying to put uh, oil and gas into the European Union market, which would put geopolitical pressure on Russia, but we could do an entire show on that. My point is we need to diversify our trade relations while simultaneously pursuing uh, a resolution to this impasse that we're currently in. 
I'm very worried if the United States decides to pursue this threat of our auto sector and worried even more so if this was to attach to our energy. They're moving rapidly towards an energy independent world uh, with lower taxes, with less regulation. This puts a lot of pressure on Canada and, you know, not to be apocryphal, but this could lead to a recession if this, if you follow the, the, the path that we're on. So Canada has a lot at stake and that's why I, I say we've got to move beyond any kind of personal insults or thin skin. So, so Trudeau will have to eat crow. Final question uh, for you, Peter, and that's uh, Jerry Dias sort of said, go, Justin. Uh, we agree that we have to retaliate. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's the main union for the auto industry. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me that he would say that. I don't agree with that as a strategy. Uh, I think Donald Trump knows uh, and, and comes from a place of the art of the deal. Now we're into the art of the possible, which is a much more complicated place. And this is a, a controversial thing to say on this show or any show, but we made concessions to get a deal with Europe uh, on supply management. This is what the president seems to be fixated on at this moment in time. We know there's a lot of, uh, let's just say, untruths about the impact of the Canadian supply-managed system on the American dairy system. Nevertheless, we've got to be prepared to talk about it and, uh, and put it on the table. And look, if that means autos, if it means removing this, uh, this artificial timeline of a, a five-year uh, sunset clause, if it means backing away from some of the other threats to our economy, we've got to be there and have these mature discussions. Okay, uh, Peter McKay, thanks very much for that. And uh, we'll uh, let you go now. I know you uh, are pressed for time. And Michael Tobe, what would you like to leave us with? Sure. No, I think that Peter, <clears throat> his closing remarks certainly make sense to me, and there's nothing I would really argue with. I'm probably more firmly opposed to supply management than he is and have written and spoken against it for, well, many years, most of the time that I've actually been involved in the media and, uh, and politics and otherwise. But, yes, I think that that is certainly, and I don't think it's that controversial because I and others have also suggested it too, I think that does make a lot of sense in the fact that Canada will have to make some concessions, not everything. You don't have to give up the entire ship. No one is suggesting that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we give them the keys to our economy and here it's yours and we, we abandon it. But I think we have to be realistic about issues. It, there is a nature of give and take in politics. There is also an, uh, a nature of give and take in trade relations as well. And if that means that we have to get rid of supply management, that, as Peter suggested, and I think he's quite right, that this sunset clause, we have to stop strongly opposing it, that would be perfectly fine. <clears throat> In the same sense, Canada has a list, as you know, of 10 different demands that the United States seems to be hesitating on. We have to also hope that they will sort of go back and maybe consider some of Trudeau's fluffy stuff, which is basically to have sections on Aboriginal rights, women's rights, even though they're technically covered in the entire NAFTA deal, I think that it actually may sort of make for some headway because those are the sorts of progressive ideas that Justin Trudeau and the Liberals have been pushing for, and they're modeling it after the European Union uh, models. They, they seem to like that model because it, it had those sections involved in it, so they'd like to put it into NAFTA. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's necessary, but I don't think there's any major harm in doing that. If Canada is sort of willing to at least start to look towards changing the way supply management happens, uh, stop opposing the sunset clause, or whatever else. So 
so if we can actually find that balance one way or the other, Libby, I think that hopefully, one, the trade war between the United States and Canada will not be long-lived or be very short-lived, which would be better overall for the Canadian system in terms of work opportunities, job prospects, businesses, etc. It's just something that will not help us. To the reality that as a middle power, there's only so much Canada can actually do in this trade war. I mean, the United States is much, much larger than us. And unlike what Jerry Dias actually directly said, the United States is not going to be threatened by losing Canada's exports. If anything, they have much bigger hands in different pots that they can pull a lot of this from, such as wheat, autos, etc. And for that reason, I think that basically everybody, as long as they meet in the middle somewhere, and I believe it is doable between Trudeau and Trump, it will benefit all of us, especially Canada. Okay, Michael Tobe, uh, thanks very much. We're going to take some calls now. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Okay, yeah, we've had some very patient callers. Let's go to Kathy in Niagara Falls. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Um, I just wanted to make the point that I think uh, Trump is very two-faced. He says one thing to your face, and then as soon as your back is turned, he's talking about you, just like he did to the guy from uh, the Rocket Man. He was yapping, he was going to blow him up and everything else, and now he's kissing his ass. Like, he, he doesn't... He's not very consistent with his, you know, it, and I think he's jealous of uh, Trudeau. I think it really bothered him when he got that man of the year thing uh, on the front page of that uh, magazine in the States. And he's better looking than he is, and he's old, <laughs> and I think it really bothers him because everything with him is ego. Yeah, a lot of people would agree with that. Kathy, thank you very much for your call. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, let's go to William here in Toronto. Hi, William. Hi, Liv. Um, uh, I think uh, Donald Trump is uh, set on not going through with the NAFTA agreement. He said so at the beginning. That's why he got elected. And he just doesn't have the wherewithal to be blunt and say the words. So he goes through all He doesn't have the wherewithal to be blunt? Are you kidding? And say, well, to, to say, I do not want to go through with this trade agreement, it's off. Why doesn't he just say that? That's what he's going for. That's what he wants. And so why is he going through all this uh, uh, all escalating things and agitating and going through all this, uh, uh, all these things unnecessarily when he just has to say, I don't want the free trade agreement, goodbye. And that's what he, and that's what I mean by he doesn't have the wherewithal to be blunt and say those words. Uh, America can, uh, can uh, survive on its own. They're self-sufficient. Uh, they don't really need anyone. And in their constitution, it says uh, that uh, they should keep out of everyone's business and just concentrate on themselves anyway. So if they would do well, that, well, that's a, a certain interpretation. Okay, William, thanks for your call. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye. Hi. Okay, let's go to Giovanni in Brampton. Hi, Giovanni. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon, and thank you for taking my call. I think your commentator has done a very good job and tell us uh, how it works, and especially Peter McKay is very good. And uh, my question would be, to uh, the panel is gone now, it would be that uh, if uh, uh, Donald Trump will sit uh, with the uh, leader of the continent, uh, five we have and uh, sit down and look at their face and each other and uh, tell each other we are dealing with the human race in this planet 
This is my question. Thank you, and have a good day. <laughs> okay, thanks, Giovanni. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.